The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. If you have been looking in version all morning long, wondering if today's event was in there, it is now in there. So you can open up your, um, you can open up your iPad or your, uh, your phone, open up the Uversion app, and you'll see today's uh, Uversion event in there. We have a whole bunch of verses that we're going to be looking at and reading through today. And primarily, we're going to be bouncing back and forth between Romans chapter 4 and Genesis 12 through like, uh, through like 25. If you're like me um, and you are a Bible reader, you know that some chapters of the Bible feel like they are like easier to, to read and easier to apply than other uh, chapters or verses of the Bible. And Romans 4 um, is one of those, how do I deal with this text? Like, what am I supposed to get out of this? Um, these are the kind of chapters that when we read them, we're tempted to kind of skim through. It's like the genealogies in the Old Testament. We're tempted to kind of skim through and get to the good stuff. Um, And I think this really has a lot to do with the way that many of us uh, read our Bibles. Um, Maybe you're the person who wakes up in the morning and you're like, God, I'm going to open my Bible and I want you to give me a word for today. Like whatever that text is, like I know that's for me. And this week, if you would have opened it to Romans 4.11, you would have read, circumcision was a sign that Abraham had already had faith. Now, if you're trying to apply that in your life, You're wondering if there was some sort of disconnect between you and God. So you try again, right? So maybe you open it to Genesis 17, 23. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and every male in his household, including those born there and those he had bought. Then he circumcised them, cutting off their foreskins. Again, like, what do you do with these texts? Um, If those were really your word from the Lord, I think I would be a little confused and a little bit um, concerned. But one of the things that we talk about here at Westway a lot is 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. And um, God, through Paul, wrote this. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what's true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses it, the scripture, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And here's what that means. Um, Even verses about circumcision are inspired by God. Even verses about circumcision are things that we can learn from. And one of the principles that that we talk about here when we are reading our Bible is it can't mean to us what it did not first mean to them. So when I'm reading the Bible and I'm wondering, like, how am I supposed to apply this in my life the thing we need to remember is the Bible can't mean something differently to us than what it meant for them. So what that means is, is we, have, we have some work to do. We need to do some, some contextual labor. And that's one of the reasons why here on Sunday mornings, we spend a lot of time talking about the backstory of the Bible. So we can, we can orient our brains around what's happening in the text that, um, that we're reading. And I want you uh, to remember the big cultural background to the book of Romans that we've been discussing over the past um, over the past month now the Jewish believers have returned to Rome after about five years of exile and they're no longer in charge of the churches the Gentile believers are now in charge they're running the show and the Jewish people were wondering why the Gentiles aren't living according to the Torah Right? Because if you remember, Christianity was an offshoot of Judaism. And what that looked like 
early on in Christianity was many of the early Christians were following a lot of the same, uh, same and similar rites and rituals that the Jews followed. They met at the synagogue. They kept the Jewish laws about what food they were supposed to eat. They honored the Sabbath. And then the Jews return home, and they're no longer doing that. Um, this religion was a religion of action and activity. They went and they took sacrifices. And those sacrifices were burned on an altar. Their book was filled with all of these different genealogies of example after example of what it meant to be God's people. And how the Old Testament, their interpretation of the Old Testament, they defined being God's people as being obedient to the Torah. Not just the Ten Commandments, but to the 613 other laws in the Old Testament. If I'm going to be a good Jew, if I'm going to be a person who's going to follow after God and I want, to be, I want to be in his kingdom, I want to be included in what he's doing, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep all of these laws. And when there was disobedience, this cost the Jewish people greatly. If you remember in the Old Testament, the kingdom was split into two, Judah and Israel. And then eventually the people went into exile twice, first by the Assyrians and then by the Babylonians. And 70 years later, when they returned from Babylon, they were, they were really a shell of, the, of their former selves. They had all these rules and regulations, and, and they tried to like get the, get the temple going again. Actually, that's the first thing they do. If we read through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, what we're going to see, and this is something that, that they, should be, they should be lauded for, like they should be applauded for this. The first thing they did when they returned to Jerusalem is they begin to rebuild the temple. Because they, they know now, at least they appear to know now, after 70 years of exile, we have got to get our worship right. We have got to worship God faithfully. So they rebuild the temple. And what really begins to happen, and again, when you read through Ezra and Nehemiah, you see this, what really begins to happen is they double down on the law. They become so focused on keeping the law that it becomes, well, really almost, almost an idol to them in lots of different ways. So to a Jewish person, obedience to the law was a marker and an indicator of godliness. The better I keep the law, the more godly I am. The better I keep the law, more the, the happier God is with me. When I fall short, God's not so happy with me. So then over the, over the next several hundred years, first the Greeks come in and the Romans come in. And as we talked about last week, the Jewish people are trying to wrestle with like their identity. Who are we as Jews in light of the Greeks taking over our nation? Who are we as, Jew, as Jews in regards to the Romans now occupying Israel? What kind of people are we? And there, the thing that they clung to, as much as it was about the Torah... The thing that they identified with the most, the person that they identified with the most, was Abraham. They were children of Abraham. So when the Greeks come in and the Romans come in and take them over, they are children of Abraham. Abraham, coupled with their keeping of the law, is their connection to God. This was their birthright. Their connection to God through Abraham was their birthright. And there are a few examples of this, um, even from the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist is doing his thing. He's baptizing people. That's not his last name. 
John the Baptist is baptizing people, and there's this group of people, these Pharisees and the Sadducees, these are two different religious leaders, uh, types of religious leaders, political parties. They come out to be baptized, and John says this, you are a brood of vipers. Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we are safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. See, what was happening is, these Jewish people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were, the only reason they were connected to God was because of their connection to Abraham. If you would have asked a Jew at this time, are you in God's kingdom? They would have said, yes, because I'm a child of Abraham. That's my, that's my connection. And obviously, by what John is telling them, they have no need to repent because they are Abraham's children. And then in the latter part of John chapter 8, there's this whole back and forth between Jesus and the Jews that ends in this way. Jesus tells the Jews, before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they, the Jews, picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. See, what Jesus has just done in John chapter 8 is he set himself above Abraham. He set himself above the person that was their identifier, that was their connecting point, that was their means of access to God. And what Jesus just did is he said, I'm like, I was before Abraham. I'm God. I'm more important than Abraham. And their response was to pick up stones to kill him. Because no one claimed, first off, no one claimed to be God. And second off, no one claimed a higher importance than Abraham. So, why all this Abraham talk, you're wondering? Um, well, if you've read Romans chapter 4 this week, you know. Abraham is sort of a, sort of a key figure in Romans chapter 4. And this means we ought to understand a little bit um, about him. So, in Romans chapter 1 to 3, Paul's just told all of the believers in Rome, Jews and Gentiles alike, that they are included in God's kingdom. And the way to be made right with God is not in keeping the law. He says, you're not going to gain righteousness. You're not going to gain favor with God by keeping the law. So, now this is what the Jewish people are going to hear. Well, of course not, because we have... Abraham. We have a connection to Abraham. This makes perfect sense to us. We don't have to keep the law because of this connection with Abraham. Here's what the Jewish people read and understood um, from Abraham's story in the book of Genesis. Abraham's life was a series of actions for which he was to be commended. So if we were just to read through Abraham's story this morning, and we're going to talk about a few key parts. If we were to read through it and the Jews were to look at it, what they would see is they would, they would see someone who's constantly being obedient to God. So it's really a works salvation if we were talking in our language. It's a works salvation. As long as Abraham did what God was calling him to, then everything was fine. Um, there's a... There's an uh, ancient Jewish writing called the Wisdom of Sirach, and it says this, Abraham was the great father of a multitude of nations, and no one has been found like him in glory. He kept the law of the Most High and entered into covenant with him. He certified the covenant in his flesh 
And when he was tested, he proved faithful. Do you hear the works in that? God told Abraham to do all of these things, and Abraham did them. Therefore, the Lord assured him with an oath that the nations would be blessed through his offspring. So here's the translation of that. As long as Abraham was obedient, God was going to bless him. And I think that many of us operate under the same mindset today. As long as we keep the law God is happy with us. As long as we don't mess up our lives too badly, I mean, we're going to make mistakes. But as long as we don't mess up our lives too badly, then God is going to be happy with us. Like we've convinced ourselves that some sins are worse than others. And as long as we, as long as we don't do the really bad ones, we had this great conversation in our small group on Thursday night. Um, Heather Jackson talked about white lies, because after all, they're white lies, Right? I mean, that, a white lie is not so bad, except for the last word, which is lie. Right? That, that's sort of the space that we have convinced ourselves that we live in. That God, when I, when I read my Bible one time, forget five days a week. When I read my Bible once a week and I do that faithfully for a month, oh, like God just must be rejoicing. And maybe we don't think that, but we sure think the opposite is true, don't we? If I don't read my Bible this week, oh, I'm a terrible Christian. God is going to, I didn't get a parking spot at Target. God hates me. The Starbucks ran out of the flavoring I like. I must have done something wrong. It's because, oh, I know, it's because I didn't pray yesterday. Right? I think these are things that we, we all kind of think and what we're doing is, is we are, we're acting out of a, we are, we're acting like God operates out of a work salvation. That if we can just be good enough, then he will save us. But Paul's going to tell us something, Paul's going to tell us something dramatically different in the book of Romans. So we're going to read uh, verses 1 to 8 um, from Romans chapter 4. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. So really quickly, the way to be made right with God is not through your works. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience David is, or Paul is now quoting David. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those who, whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. So don't, don't miss this. Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. That's what Paul is telling us. It wasn't Abraham's actions. It wasn't Abraham's activities. It was because of his faith. And that's actually a quote from the Old Testament. It's from Genesis chapter 15, um, verse 6, which we're going to read here again in a second. 
Well, what is all of this Abraham history about? I'm going to read um, just portions of from Genesis today as we kind of go through this text. The first thing I'm going to read is Genesis 12, verses 1 to 6. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you'll be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot, Lot's Abraham's brother, Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew, sorry, his nephew, nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived at Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the Oak of Morah. At that time, the area was, uninhabit- was inhabited by the Canaanites. Okay, so this is the setup. God comes to Abram and says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations and pack up your stuff and go. I'll tell you where you're going to go, but you're going to pack up your stuff and you're going to go. If we were to read through um, the rest of Genesis 12 and 13 and 14, um, we would see that because of a famine, Abram and Sarai end up in Egypt. Even though Abram and Sarai are very old, Abram is afraid that all of the, all of the Egyptians are going to think his wife is beautiful. So he says, I want you, we're going to tell everybody that you're my sister. Because if they find out you, as hot as you are, if they find out that you are my wife, they're going to kill me and take you. Pharaoh's attracted to her and gives all of these gifts to Abram, but the Lord sends plagues to Egypt. That ought to be a little cue for you if you're familiar with the Bible. You're going to see these little threads that run through the text. So these plagues come on Egypt, and Pharaoh knows, he learns that this is what's going on, so he kicks Abram out of Egypt. And after a few more incidents, they end up in chapter 15, and this is 15 verses 1 through 6. I want to just encourage you. I don't know that we've talked about this in a while. When you're reading through the Bible, like when you hit Romans chapter 4, and it talks about Abraham... The best thing you can do is press pause on your, on your Roman study and go back and read the story about Abraham and learn more. This is what Abram, Ab, or Genesis 15, 1 to 6 says. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, and listen, this is so important. O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord Abram took, or Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. 
See, Abram wasn't counted as righteous because of his actions. Because what was his action? Is God, God told him something was going to happen, and, and Abram's like, what good is that? I don't even have a son. What good? So Abram is counted as faithful because of his belief. Abram has done very little at this point, except pack up his stuff and go where God told him to do. So he's believed enough about what God is asking him to do that God's like, you know what, Abram, that's enough. I'll take that. This little step of faith. And even when he got there, when he went to Egypt, he was disobedient. So God wants us to be faithful. And this is, this is really the first lesson that we can learn about God's righteousness to Abram because of his faith. God's righteousness is a gift and not a wage. God's righteousness is a gift and not a wage. God doesn't owe Abraham anything. He owes him nothing. And newsflash, 2022, God doesn't owe you anything. He owes you nothing. Regardless of how obedient you are to him, regardless of how many Bible reading plans you've completed, regardless of how many times you've gone to Sunday school or vacation Bible school or any of those things, God doesn't, God doesn't owe you anything. Our obedience does not put God into debt, into debt to us. When we are obedient, God doesn't owe us something. He gives us his righteousness as a gift. It's free but it's not without cost, as we talked last week. That's Jesus on the cross. Let's read Romans 4, verses 9 through 15. Now, is this blessing only for the Jews, or is it only for uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we've been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised, or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham already had faith and that God had accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They're counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith Abraham had before he was circumcised. Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So, to, so the promise is received by faith. It's given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. When we read this last week in our pastor's study of this text, um, Cody talked about how in one of the classes he had when he was at Nebraska Christian College, um, his professor had an entire PowerPoint on circumcision that they talked about. 
Um, I know Dave Husky, so I reached out to him and asked if he had that PowerPoint because I really wanted to share it with you today. Um, but he, um, he did not have it anymore, so I was kind of disappointed in that. In Genesis chapter 16, Abram and Sarah decide that they are not going to trust God to fulfill their promise to him. So God says, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And they don't believe him. So his wife, Sarah, says, you know, I have, this, I have this female servant. Her name is Hagar. And Abram, what I want you to do is I want you to sleep with her. I want you to have sex with her. And that is going to be the child of promise. This is the one in their minds. This is the way that God is going to fulfill his covenant. In Genesis chapter 17, God makes a covenant with Abram. He changes his name. See, Abram means exalted father, and Abraham is a Hebrew term that sounds like the father of many. And what he tells Abraham is, you're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to be extremely fruitful. So God is making this covenant. He's giving him this gift, right? He's, he's giving him righteousness. Abraham, this is what I'm going to do for you. This is what I'm going to do for you. This is going to do for you. And up to this point, Abraham has been completely disobedient, we would say. And it's only after the covenant that Abraham's responsibility is revealed. This is in Genesis 17. You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. From generation to generation... Every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after birth. Don't miss this. God's righteousness to Abraham is given to him before his obedience. God's gift of righteousness is not dependent on Abraham's obedience. It's not dependent on what Abraham sort of does next. But there's still a requirement. There's still an expectation. In Romans 5, it says this, God showed his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. See, when God sent Jesus to save us from our sins, he didn't wait until you, were, until you sinned less. Does that make sense? He did not look at any single one of us and say, man, that guy seems like he's really cleaning his life up. And if he does these three more things, then I'm going to send Jesus down there. Because he's, like, he's done it. See, God looks at us while we are still sinners, and he sends Christ while we are still sinners, while we are still a mess. While we're still broken, while we're in the midst of the, of the wreckage that is our lives. This is, this is what it means to receive God's righteousness. And again, after that, we, we want to live for him. We want to do different things. We want to act in faith. But one of the things that I, as I thought about this message all week long, one of the things I want you to know is, is God didn't save you because you're great. God didn't save you because of the potential you had in his kingdom. God saved you because, because you were spiritually dead, because I was spiritually dead. Because I'm a, I'm a wreck. And God brings dead things back to life. 
And maybe you question that. Maybe you think, well, John, you don't know what I've done. You don't know, you don't know the list of sins. I mean, just yesterday, you don't know what I've done. We read this last week. True, some of them were unfaithful. Some of you are unfaithful. But just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even though, even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. See, God's righteousness isn't dependent on our ability to be obedient. Regardless of what's on your list. Regardless of what's on your list. And here's the second lesson. God's, God's righteousness is available to all people. See, because it's a gift, it's available to all people. Today, our oldest grandson turned seven. And you know what? Being around a seven-year-old, there are some days where you've been around seven-year-olds. You know what seven-year-olds are like. And like we, we sent him a gift last week, not because he's perfect, not because he's never annoyed us. Every single time we get to go see them, like if it's, if it's both of us, if Ann and I are both down there or one of us are down there, like that dude is sleeping with one of us. And he must have this special wiggle button that I don't know anything about. But we didn't, we didn't send him a birthday gift because he's perfectly obedient. Because he always does what he's supposed to. We sent him a birthday gift because we love him and because we care about him. Because he's made in God's image. Because he's our grandson. He's our daughter's child. We absolutely love him. And God doesn't, God doesn't save us because we're perfectly obedient. He doesn't love us because we're perfectly obedient because we're not. We, all, we don't have wiggle buttons, right? We have a whole host of other buttons in our lives. Right? God loves us. God gives gifts and it's available to every person. Let's read the rest of Romans chapter 4 together, starting, um, starting at verse. We're going to start at 16. Chapter 4. So the promise is received by faith. It's given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. Do you see that? The gift is available to everyone. If... We have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you'll have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, his fi he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. 
Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. Not because of his obedience, not because of his his ability to, to follow the law, but because of his faith. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He, Jesus, was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. If we were to flip back to the book of Genesis... There's this encounter with Sarah that God has, these three beings. This is chapter 18, verses 9 to 15. Where is Sarah, your wife, the visitors asked. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself herself, and said, How could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is so old? Don't you just love the humanity in the Bible? Then the Lord said to to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, no, you did laugh. Like, it's such a great, such a great interaction. Such a great story. And this is why, again, I just want to encourage you, when you're, when you're reading through the Bible... Like, go back and read the story. Go back and see all of the things that are taking place. On uh, Genesis 21, verse 1, we read this. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant. Don't you just love that? In, the, in Romans, in my Bible... I write in my Bible. Verse 18 in chapter 4. I'm jumping around for a second. Sorry. Romans 4.18 says this. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. I highlighted that. I underline it. And I drew an arrow. And underneath the text I wrote, through his actions of continuing to sleep with Sarah. See, that's how that happened. This is what faith looked like. He heard God tell him something and he continued to act. This was not, this was not an immaculate conception of Isaac. This was the old-fashioned way. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. This is back in Genesis for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God said it would. And Abraham named their son Isaac. Eight days after Isaac was born, Abraham circumcised him. 
as God commanded. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Do you know what Isaac means in Hebrew? It means he laughs. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. See, this is the, this is the fulfillment of the promise. This is God making live things out of dead things. Out of guys who are a hundred years old and women who have dead wombs. This is God making live things out of dead things. And then in verse, in chapter 22, God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, Isaac. I want you to take him up on to the mountain. I want you to sacrifice him for me. This is one of Anne's least favorite parts in the entire book of the Bible. And it should, it should challenge us. And if you know the story, Abraham takes his son up the mountain. What you might not know is this mountain, this hill is the exact same mountain in Jerusalem where the temple is going to be built. The exact same mountain. The exact same hill. Isaac is going to carry wood up the exact same hill that Jesus would have carried the cross. The exact same place. And as Abraham ties his son Isaac onto the altar and pulls out a knife to kill him, God says, don't. You're faithful See, it's not obedience. It's not Abraham's obedience that brought him the righteousness of God. It's his faithfulness. And this is the third lesson from this story. Is that God through his righteousness brings dead things back to life. And we've seen this throughout the text. And I, I can't help but think of Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. We talked about them a few weeks ago says this, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. See, God has given Abraham righteousness. It's through faith. Abraham didn't have it on his own. He couldn't earn it. That's what it says at the beginning of Romans chapter 4. If, if he would have been obedient to earn righteousness, then he could boast. This is why when we, when we are obedient to God and we think we've just done such a great job. I read my Bible seven days this week. Champion. Number one, I think that's really great that you read your Bible seven days a week. Like, awesome, I love it. It's going to help you grow in your relationship with God. And 
it is not going to earn you a single degree of righteousness. It is going to do nothing for your righteousness in God's sight. Because only God can give righteousness. The Jewish Christians in Rome are finding their identity in the who and the what of Abraham. But Paul tells them that the only reason Abraham has any value is because of what God's done for him. It's God's righteousness. I love verses 23 and 24 in Romans chapter 4. And if you're looking for, if you're looking for a verse to apply, this is it. And when God counted him righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too. Assuring us that God will also, also count us as righteous if we believe in him. The one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. See what was true for Abraham is true, was true for the church at Rome and it's true for us. Our righteousness comes through faith in Christ. If you're here today and, and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know a couple things. Number one, God's righteousness is a gift. It's not a wage. It's a gift. It's not a wage. One of my favorite bands is U2. And Bono describes God's righteousness this way. He says, it's not a trick because you can't learn it. It's the way you don't pay that's okay because you can't earn it. You cannot earn righteousness on your own. You can't. The second thing I want you to know if you're not a follower of Christ is God's righteousness is available to you. Especially you. Regardless of what's on your sin list. And I don't know what's on your list. I know what's on mine. I know how my list makes me feel when I reflect on it, when I think back on it, when I ask myself, how could God ever save someone like me? And here's the third thing. God, through his righteousness, brings dead things back to life. The Bible tells us that we're all spiritually dead. Before our relationship with Christ, we are all spiritually dead. We are all on the same playing field. There are no scales. We are all dead. And only Jesus brings life. Jesus is the fix. And my hope and my desire and my prayer for you as a person who's not a believer today is that you would accept that gift and you would live in the freedom that Christ gives you. That you would stop striving you would stop thinking you can be better than other people. You would stop thinking that you can earn your way to heaven. You can stop thinking that you're good enough because after all, you don't blank like that person. Well, you would trust in God's goodness. And if you are a follower of Christ, you should know that God's righteousness is a gift. It's not a wage. You haven't earned it. No matter how you've lived your life since you made that decision for Christ, You've not added to your righteousness. You've only received it from God. And that's the second thing. God's righteousness is available to all people, especially those who sin differently than us. 
and what we get to do as Christians. Like, this is so awesome. What we get to do as Christians is demonstrate the same love, mercy, and grace that God has shown us to non-Christians. Isn't that freeing to you? Isn't that better than having to feel like you have to prove somebody's wrong? Isn't that better than feeling like you have to get into some big internet argument with someone? See, you're freed to love people. You're freed to show people grace. That's your job description. You don't have to prove that other people are worse sinners than you. God's grace is available to everyone. And then the third thing, God, God has made you alive. He's taken you from a dead person and he's given you life. And as alive as you are right now because of what Jesus has done, you are not as alive as you are going to be one day. And what's happening as, as we wait for that day, God is constantly breathing life into us through the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, constantly giving us life, constantly resuscitating us, constantly giving us opportunity to live out our faith. And as Christians, we have the choice to not go back into death because we have been delivered. My desire and my prayer for you as a follower of Christ is that you would live like those words are true. Not that you'd fake it till you make it, but you would live your life like this is true. You'd make choices and decisions based on the righteousness that God has given you. You would live like this is your reality. This is your identity. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that we can't earn our salvation. Because we would try lots of ways. And the Old Testament tells us that there's a way that seems right to a man and it leads to death. you've sent your son Jesus to make us right with you. And you did that while we were still sinners. You didn't wait until we cleaned ourselves up. You didn't wait until we were better people. You didn't wait until you thought we were something that you might be able to work with. You sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin while we were living in our sin. Jesus knew exactly what he was buying when he paid for us. And I pray that we would, we would simply acknowledge that reality. We would see him for what he's done and we would acknowledge it. We would accept it. We would live like we believe it. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.